Welcome to another exciting episode of Spurbs Herbs. Today is our first A-lister herb. This is a blockbuster herb. Today we're going to be talking about Donggui Angelica Sinensis Radix. This is not just a major, major herb in Chinese medicine, but also a major, major herb in Western medicine. So let's get into it. So before we do, uh, please support us by using our Amazon banner ad on our homepage at www.spurbsherbs.com. So uh, anytime you go over to Amazon, if you click there first, we'll get a few pennies, and that will help support us as we're doing this. So thank you. If you are an acupuncturist, this podcast, as well as others, are approved for CABCUs and NCCAOM PDAs. That's California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine Professional Development Activities at a Reasonable Cost at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's integrativemedicinecouncil.org. We are looking for sponsors for our podcasts. If you are looking for effective, super targeted, personalized advertising, with an excellent return on investment. Check out the advertising section of our website. There was a big mountain on which grass and trees grew luxuriantly. Although there were valuable medicinal herbs on the mountain, very few people went there to collect them because many poisonous snakes and beasts of prey also lived there. Below the mountain, there was a village. One day, the young villagers were chatting together. I am the bravest man in our village, said one. The others <laughs> didn't believe him. If you are the bravest, do you dare go up the mountain to gather medicinal herbs, deliberately asked the others. Who says I don't dare to? Wait until I return with the medicinal herbs that can cure your disease of cowardice. That's enough of your boasting. If you are bitten by the poisonous snakes or the beasts of prey, we will have to search for the medicine for your recovery. But the young man didn't back, take back his boast. He swore that he would certainly go up the mountain to gather medicinal herbs. But when he got home and told his mother about it, she wouldn't consent to this. I, I have only one son, you. If anything should happen to you, our family might be childless, said his mother. I have sworn my oath. If I don't go, I can't hold up my head in the village. All right, but since you are engaged, you should get married before you go and see to it that you have a child to leave behind, said his mother after thinking it over. In this way, the son didn't go up the mountain for a while. As he couldn't bear to leave his bride, he never spoke of going up the mountain. Several months passed. The young villagers got together again, and they all criticized the bridegroom. You should take back your words, you king of boasting. Who boasts? The young man was angry. You, not me. Have you forgotten your promise? Like any other young person, he was concerned about saving face. How could he bear such words? He went home. Please help me pack. I will go up the mountain tomorrow to gather medicinal herbs, he said to his wife. I won't let you go, his wife threw herself into his arms, weeping. I must be a man. I can't let others say that I can only love my wife. But how can I live if you leave me alone here? I have talked it over with my mother. You can wait for me for three years. If I don't return by then, you may get remarried. The next day, the young man left his mother and his wife and climbed the mountain. His wife lived with her mother-in-law at home. One year passed. He didn't return. Then two years passed, with no news from him. His wife wept all day and developed a very serious women's disease because of sadness, worry, and deficiency of both chi and blood. When the third year passed, he didn't appear either. You have waited for him for three years. It seems that he will not return. Please return to your mother's family and get remarried, the old woman said to her daughter-in-law. At first, the wife refused and her mother-in-law urged her many times. Finally, she thought that her husband was probably dead. 
she went to her mother's family and married another man. But a few days later, her first husband suddenly returned and made a big stir in the whole village. When the villagers saw that he had gathered so many medicinal herbs, they all praised him for his bravery and skills. But when he returned to his home, he didn't find his wife there. He was very anxious. You made it clear beforehand. She waited for you for three years, and there was no news about you. So she has remarried now, said his mother. He was overcome with regret and hated himself for not coming back earlier. As he couldn't forget his wife, he sent a message to her that he wanted to meet her one more time. When his wife got the news that her former husband was still alive, she wept and wept. The die is cast. So does no good. it does no good to regret it now. Please go meet him since you two were once husband and wife. So did others persuade her. So they met each other. She was all tears. What a bitter life I have been living, waiting for you for three years. I look forward to seeing you day and night. You should have come back within three years, but you didn't. No word about you came to me. Now I regret that I have remarried, and I feel as if a knife were piercing my heart, said the woman. Don't be grieved. You are not to blame. It's all my fault. While I was up in the mountain, I dug up a lot of valuable and rare medicinal herbs. I stayed longer because I wanted to collect more and bring them back so I could buy a few suits of clothes for you after I had sold them. I wish you a happy life in the future, said the young man, sighing. Then he went away. The woman had already been ill. How could she bear this? She fell down. After a while, when she noticed the young man had left some medicinal herbs behind, and she thought that if she recklessly ate some, they might be poisoned and would kill her, she took some herbal roots that she didn't recognize and ate them mouthful by mouthful, but she was not poisoned. A few days later, her pale face became a healthy red, and her women's disease was completely cured. How did you cure your disease, she was asked. In answer, she showed people the medicinal herb that had been gathered by her former husband. My illness has been cured only because I have eaten this, she said. So people remembered that this medicinal herb could particularly cure women's diseases. Later, some people planted it and named it Donggue, meaning that one should return in time. This is a story to let people remember that when a husband should return and doesn't, his wife will be forced to marry someone else. So that is a story from Herbal Legends of Chinese Medicine. And it explains a lot uh, about the functions of the herbs and also the translation, which is translated as should return, or one of the things that is translated as is should return. So that's what Donggui means. And they're both first tone, by the way, dong, gui. And that, so that story is actually a very traditional story around this. And you, you can hear this, or, or uh, people are familiar with this who are familiar with this herb. So I said should return is an English translation of this. Uh, very similar other translations include state of return or ought to return. So very similar. As I mentioned earlier, this is an Angelicae sinensis radix. That is the Latin name for this, Angelicae sinensis. It is important that we actually have the species name here. Sometimes when it comes to Chinese herbs, we'll just put the genus name. And, and that actually is okay because they'll find that lots of different species uh, under a given genus may actually be medicinal and may be have similar functions as, as uh, together as a genus. But in the case of angelicate, there are several different species that have very different herbal functions. So keeping track of the species name is actually important. So this is angelicate sinensis. Uh, a local variant in certain parts of China is dong, that's D-O-N-G, rather than dong, which is D-A-N-G. Dong donggui, so dong, D-O-N-G, donggui, D-A-N-G, G-U-I is how we spell it. And that is actually Angelica acutiloba. 
So that's a local variant said to have very similar effects. And so uh, in certain parts of China, they'll use that rather than the Angelica sinensis. Now, other names you may have heard this by. Now, the, pronouncing a lot of this is, is difficult. I'm going to pronounce two here. Um, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce two because they actually both sound exactly the same as what I've been saying, Dongwe, um, D-A-N-G-G-U-I. However, they're spelled completely differently. So one is spelled T-A-N-G-Q-U-E-I. And some people will pronounce this Tangkui, but that's not correct. The, the actual pronunciation is Dongwe. Why is that so different? And, and let me go with the other one before we get this. Sometimes you'll see this written as D-O-N-G-Q-U-A-I instead of Dongwe. And where these came up is because they use different systems for translating the Chinese words into English uh, letters, into the Roman alpha, the Roman uh, letters. And so T-A-N-G-Q-U-E-I. Now, I'm not an expert on language, so don't quote me on this, but that looks a lot like Wade-Giles system. And it's the same thing if you say, if you see T-A-O, um, a da for Dao, and some people will pronounce that Tao. That's actually pronounced Dao. So it's the same thing here. The T is pronounced as a D. And um, Q is, I mean, sorry, K is often translated, is often sounds like a G sound when it comes uh, to Wade Giles. So I, I know that uh, there's, there's uh, one of the martial arts that I've studied is called um, Bagua. And it's actually spelled P A. Rather than B A P A um, uh, Q U A, and so the, I mean, sorry, K U A. I'm sorry, I'm getting my K's and my Q's mixed up. K U A, and that's actually pronounced Ba Gua. So very different than the way it's it's actually written. Same thing here with the the T and the K here. Dongwe. This is pronounced exactly the same, but it's spelled T A N G Q U E I. And then same with the the other one. Again, you'll see sometimes it's called uh, it's pronounced uh, Dong Kui. Or Dong Kue, um, but again, it's Dongwe. It's exactly the same pronunciation as we've been doing, and that spelled D O N G Q U A I. So these are uh, same pronunciation, different romanization of the Chinese words. You also see it called Chinese Angelica root, uh, or just Angelica root, which to me is not specific enough. Uh, though a lot of the other Angelicas that we use for medicines, no, they're, they're some of them are roots. So I'm going to back this off. And Japanese, again, I don't speak Japanese, so I don't know how this is supposed to be, but um, T-O-K-I, so I'm going to say Toki. And in Korean, it's D-A-N-G, so the same uh, first four letters, and G-W-I, so Donggui, I guess. So very similar to Donggui, but uh, that's Korean. And then sometimes it's also called Shigui or Gongui. Um, Gon meaning dried gui, um, so uh, Gon means dry. So those are all different names for the, the same thing. Uh, generally, the dosage on this is around four and a half to five grams. A different sources said four and a half to five grams or five grams up to 15 grams dosage. So this can be actually dosed at a relatively high dose. And so up to 15 grams. It is in the category of herbs that tonify the blood. And when, as we get into the, the, uh, the functions of this, you'll see that that is quite appropriate. It is sweet and spicy acrid. Again, spicy and acrid in Chinese are, are uh, synonyms. So sweet, spicy, acrid, and warm. And it enters the heart, the liver, and the spleen. If you know a little bit about Chinese medicine, you know that the heart, the liver, and the spleen are all involved with the blood. Obviously, the heart bump, uh, pumps the blood around. The liver will store the blood. And the spleen is actually where it's produced from a Chinese perspective. So the spleen is important in that context as well. And I think that um, since the spleen is a digestive organ, I think it's saying that we get the, the blood from our food, uh, our gu qi, which is a specific type of qi. We'll get into qi a lot in, in one of these episodes. There is a very clear source for the first written mention of this herb, and it's, it's a fascinating source, and it's an important source. And it's in the Divine Farmer's Materia Medica is where it's first uh, talked about. Uh, this is the, in Chinese, this is the Shenang Bensao Jing, 
um, Shenang is often translated as divine farmer. And this is one of the, um, I, I like the word, I was going to say gods of, of, uh, of Chinese history, but I, I like the word deity better than, than gods, so it doesn't kind of give the same connotations as a Christian word god. Um, so, and here's, it's, it's uh, Shen, uh, which means, is often translated as, as spirit or something along those lines. Here it's translated as divine. And Nong means farmer, so divine farmer. Ben Sao Jing, Ben means root, Sao means grass. Uh, so we'll often in Chinese medicine, they will combine two words to kind of mean something similar, but different. So Ben Sao together in this context, especially with the word Jing. Jing just means a classic, an old book, a book of importance. So that's Jing. So Ben Sao Jing altogether is translated here as Materia Medica, which is Latin for medical materials. Uh, there are uh, definitely, you'll hear pharmacopoeias or Materia Medicas in Western medicine uh, from Latin. And so that's how this is translated. Really, if you literally translate it, it means classic of roots and grasses, uh, which would be herbs, so classic of herbs. So this is Divine Farmer's Materia Medica. It was written in the second century uh, of the common era, so this is late Han Dynasty, if you're if you're familiar with that, that was, Han Dynasty was a big important dynasty. It lasted about uh, approximately 200 years BCE and uh, to 200 years CE, and uh, is really does kind of a lot of the foundational books of Chinese medicine come out during this time, including the Shen Nong Ben Saojing of the Divine Farmers Materia Medica, which is the first written book that we have to this day. There is actually supposed to be the Shen Nong Jing which is a uh, predates this um, of which this is sort of a reformed version of. And so, uh, but the Shenang Ben Saojing is, is probably the first written uh, classic that we have that describes individual herbs. And so it's incredibly important in Chinese medicine and for the, the historical context. It's the earliest materia medica. And this is important because it establishes the tradition of Ben Saojing carried on by later authors. So as uh, I, you'll see, you often hear the Tang Ben Sao Jing or uh, you know, the, the different, Tang is a dynasty. Um, different dynasties will have their own Ben Sao Jing as they, as they go forward. Uh, and even to modern day, the, the Ben Sao ben Sao's uh, Materia Medica will change every few years to reflect new information. What's interesting about this and not carried through uh, to modern day is it classifies medicinals into three grades. Uh, and these are superior, medium, and inferior grades. It's interesting in that context. Establishes basic rules for herb combining. So that's important. There are certain herbs that you're not, you're not supposed to combine with other herbs. And it still has some shamanistic overtones. It, it, uh, it's interesting as we get in, we're going to do a little bit of quote here and you'll see some of those shamanistic overtones as we, we get into it. So here's a quote from the Shenang Ben Sao Jing, Jing uh, this is a preface uh, or the beginning of it. Uh, there are 120 superior class medicinals which are used as sovereigns. They mainly nourish life and correspond to heaven. They are non-toxic, and taking them in large amounts and for a long time will not harm people. If one intends to make one, one's body light, boost the chi, prevent aging, and prolong life, one should base one's efforts on the superior class. There are 120 medium-class medicinals, which are used as ministers. They mainly nurture personality and correspond to humanity. They may or may not be toxic, and therefore one should weigh and ponder before putting them to their appropriate use. If one intends to control disease, supplement vacuity, and replenish exhaustion, one should base one's efforts on the middle class. There are 125 inferior class medicinals, which are used as assistants and envoys. Now, I'll get into this a little bit. They mainly treat disease and correspond to earth. They are usually toxic and cannot be taken for a long time. If one intends to eliminate cold and heat and evil chi, break accumulations and gatherings, and cure disease, 
one should base one's efforts on the inferior class. Now, there's a lot of internal logic in these three classes that are just described. So for example, um, they talked about the superior class corresponding to heaven, the medium, uh, the, the middle class corresponding to, hu to human or man, and the inferior class corresponding to earth. So this is heaven, man, and earth. This has uh, very strong overtones in Taoism and Confucius thought that um, heaven and earth are the poles and, and humans are in the middle between heaven and earth or a combination of heaven and earth. And so that um, kind of corresponds with yin-yang theory and, and a lot of Taoism. So that's an interesting internal aspect to this here. You also, uh, it talked about the superior herbs being sovereigns or, or emperors, the medium herbs being ministers and the inferior herbs being assistants and envoys. As you get into formulas, we talk about these different roles for herbs within a given formula. So they can be either a sovereign or emperor herbs, they can be ministers, they can be assistants and envoys. And these, these roles reflect, are very Confucianist in their, in their origin and reflect you know, this idea of, of the Chinese that the way things are in heaven are the way things, things are manifested by man and the way things are uh, appear in earth. And so the idea is that the government appears this way amongst men. So therefore, heaven is run in the same way and earth is run in the same way. Not because men are doing, but because men are reflecting what's happening in heaven. And so this idea of sovereigns, ministers, assistants, and envoys are the way the government worked. And so therefore, our herbal formula should work the same way. Very Confucius in, in origin in that, in that context. And so you see that in the descriptions of all of these. Um, some of the, we talked about, there's some of the, uh, the uh, shamanistic overtones. We talked about personality with the medium class medicinals. So yeah, herbs, maybe shamanistically, um, are, are said to be able to, to work with personalities and change personality. And in a certain context, you can understand that if you have a disease state and you cure the disease, your, your personality does change. If you're very sick, you're usually gruff and mean and angry. And then as you come out of that illness, you're grateful for the help you got and all that sort of stuff. So your personality changes. So it makes a, a certain amount of sense that herbs can do that. But here it's very explicit that it does do that. All right, so that is Shenang Ben Sao Jing. We are going to continue with our discussion of Shenang Ben Sao Jing. And here's a quote about Dongwe uh, in that. And uh, it's listed under Dongwe. So let's, let's do that. Dongwe, Riddix Angelicae sinensis, is sweet and warm. It is non-toxic, treating mainly cough and counterflow chi ascent. Warm malaria with fever persisting within the skin, leaking causing infertility in females, various malign sores, and incised wounds. It can be constantly taken after being cooked. Its other name is gongui or dry return. It grows in rivers and valleys. So that's the quote. Very different as we're going to see. That's that's um, a bit different than than what we see in modern times. In fact, it says treating mainly cough. Well, we don't use it very often with cough. We do. It's, it is one of its functions, but it's not a strong function of it. So we don't, um, at least in the U.S., we don't really deal with malaria, so we don't use it for malaria. But counterflow chi ascent, so that means that it um, causes chi to descend which isn't exactly, I mean, we, we will get into that quite a bit. It can do that depending on how it's prepared, uh, but it's not necessarily, we, we do say it actually moves chi, and that's important. And Taz says, leaking, causing infertility in females. So that that's important. Um, we're going to find that this is probably one of the main, if not the main female herb as we go through this. So that uh, not just infertility, but a lot of other issues as well. And we are going to find that it can be used internally and externally for uh, various uh, sores and wounds. So that all makes sense as well. So as a, as a footnote on Donggui in the Shenang Ben Sao Jing, uh, here is, uh, it's probably a commentary on the original entry. So 
Here it goes, is a quote. Dongwe, Fredix Angelica Sinensis, can be translated literally as expected to be back home. So there's another translation. It was said that if one missed one's relatives, one could send a dry piece of Dongwe to the person who, on receiving it, would come back. Dongwe is very important and medicinal for blood troubles. It supplements the heart and harmonizes and moves the blood to disperse when cold. Is all but indispensable for any women's disease. Uh, any gynecological uh, obstetric disease, this is probably going to be one of the herbs that are going to be used to treat it. So it is mentioned, it is since it's in Shandong, which is the first written uh, account of individual herbs, it's used in a lot of other texts as well. And some important ones are, uh, it is mentioned several formula and at least one commentary in the Shanghan Lung on cold damage. And there are many more mentions in the Jingwe Yao Lue, uh, Essential Prescriptions of the Golden Cabinet. Now, if you're not familiar with these two books, just like the Shandong Ben Sao Jing is sort of the first book on individual herbs, the Shanghan Lung and Jingwe Yao Lue are the first books on herbal formulas. And it's important, they were actually one uh, book uh, coming out of the Han Dynasty as well. So the same timing, time frame as Shendong Ben Sao Jing. And uh, it, it did not get out of the Han Dynasty very well or intact. And so it was by uh, actually very famous uh, collaborators in the uh, several hundred years or 100 or 200 years after the Han Dynasty was put together in two separate books called On Cold Damage, Shanghan Lung, and Essential Prescriptions of the Golden Cabinet, the Jingwei Yao, Yao Lue. The Shanghan Lung focuses on how cold enters the body and causes diseases. And um, there's a fascinating quote in the beginning that uh, he, he lost large numbers of his family due to uh, uh, cold diseases. So he wrote this book. And uh, it is basically from a Chinese perspective about how external disease uh, enters the body and can go internal. And so it's, it's a foundational text. In fact, uh, we, we often, the Shang, what is described in the Shanghai Lung, we, we will call the six stages and is one of our major diagnostic and, and etiological uh, uh, frameworks for Chinese medicine. So super important. The Jingwei Yao Lei, I can't even say it, Jingwei Yao Lue, uh, Essential Prescriptions of the Golden Cabinet, focuses more on internal diseases. So it's not this external going internal, it is internal diseases. And is, again, these two together are absolutely foundational texts for formulas. It's one of the um, first and definitely most important books on formulas. So a lot of mentions of Dongwei in both of those. Uh, especially the Jingwei Yao Lue. It's, it's definitely used a lot for internal, internal conditions and gynecological conditions, as we mentioned. Good quality Dongwei is thick and, and has long main roots. It's yellowish brown with a soft outer bark and a yellowish white cross section. And I love this, I'm quoting uh, Bensky here at Albensky at all, it says it has a dense aroma. So that's, that's an interesting word. I, if you've smelled Dongwei fresh uh, or uh, dried Dongwei, it is a strong aroma that's not bad. It's, it's like when you think of an herbal aroma, this is one of, the, to me, one of the quintessential smells. So dense aroma, strong herbal aroma would be how I would describe it. It has numerous Chinese medical actions. And as we mentioned, it's, it's the herb for blood, for tonifying the blood. So it's first action is tonifies or supplements. Again, different translations of, uh, in different texts. Tonifies or supplements the blood and regulates the menses. So we're gonna see anything to do with the menses, this herb is probably gonna be involved. It invigorates and harmonizes the blood. And some sources add relieves pain to this function. So it invigorates and harmonizes the blood and relieves pain. So that's important. And I, I've mentioned before, but we say that pain is caused by 
blood and chi not moving. And so if you're moving the blood, you should be relieving pain at the same time. So this makes perfect sense. It disperses cold. So we've said that it is warming in nature. So this disperses cold. It moistens the intestines and unblocks the bowels. So we'll see that this function in a lot of things with oils that have oils involved with them. And, and Dongwei, good quality Dongwei, is a little bit slightly oily. So that, that makes sense. So it moistens the intestines and unblocks the bowels. And here's that cough. It treats cough and dys dyspnea. One of my favorite words that I can never quite pronounce properly, dyspnea, which basically means difficulty breathing. Uh, it's the medical term for difficulty breathing. So it treats cough and dys dyspnea, and it, but it is relatively weak with this function. And, in other words, it's not used. It can be used in conjunction with other herbs, but alone it would not be used to treat cough and dyspnea. So uh, Brandon Wiseman, uh, who wrote the uh, concise uh, formulary, uh, Materia Medica, that we use, one of the textbooks that we look at. So he discusses that function of quicken. He describes it as quickens the blood and relieves pain. So that's the same thing as invigorate the blood. And it says it can be used in the following cases. So it actually lists major reason, major ways you can use that function. So quickens the blood and relieves pain to help menstrual irregularities, painful menstruation, and amenorrhea. So amenorrhea means not being able to, not having a menses. Abdominal pain due to vacuity cold. Again, it treats cold, it's warming. So this could be good for abdominal pain due to vacuity cold. Pain in, and vacuity cold is a, sort of a technical term that vacuity um, cold is a technical term in Chinese medicine. Uh, and it, it refers more to yang deficiency than yin excess, and so the cutie cold. Pain in the limb and body due to static blood, so blood not moving, so you have pain in the limb and the body because of that. I like this. Uh, knocks and falls, so basically accidents, wounds. Knocks and falls. Impediment pain, which is the translation in Chinese medicine of a, a class of, of Patterns called B syndrome. So impediment pain is the same as B syndrome or numbness and tingling of the skin. So B syndrome means usually means pain in the joints and it can be caused by a, a, a numerous uh, causes. Uh, wind cold damp B is, is sort of one of those. We can have wind heat damp B. There's a lot of different, there's several different B syndromes out there. Uh, we will often uh, if someone came in with an arthritis, we might put it in. We generally will put it into one of these B syndromes. So that's sort of a good picture, but it's not a perfect picture of what a B syndrome is. But it, at least it gets us past this line here without having to go into several slides of, of B syndrome, which we may do at some point in the future. And finally, that quickens the blood and relieves pain. In Brandon Wiseman's book, uh, it can also help uh, welling and flat abscesses. Uh, so these are flat abscesses or welling or, or uh, uh, abscesses that are above the skin level. So welling or and flat abscesses. So Dongwei is a very, very commonly used herb, both in Chinese and herbal traditions. So if you look at European Western herbal traditions, it is used very commonly in there as well. And there is a ton of commentary on this herb, too much for me to, to list in a one-hour episode. So I'm kind of taking a, a few important commentaries for us to discuss. Um, Bensky has a, has a, a great passage that they translate uh, from Zhang Shi Chun uh, from Essays on Medicine, Esteeming the Chinese and Respecting the, the Westerns. So right there, you know, this is a more modern uh, place, uh, source, because it, Essays on medicine, esteeming the Chinese and respecting the Western. So here's the quote. Dongwei is sweet, slightly acrid, rich in fluids, and warm in nature. It is the primary herb for generating blood and invigorating blood, but it also disseminated and unblocks the qi aspect, inducing the qi and blood to return to their proper place. Hence the name, state of return. Again, we bring in that's Dongwei. So the name state of return, it comes back.
Its power can raise because it is strong and steady in action and warm. It can direct downward because its flavor is rich and acrid. Internally, it moistens the organs because of its concentrated fluids and sweetness. Externally, it thrusts out to the muscle layer because of its acrid, warm nature. Although Angelica sinensis radix dongwei is warm, it can still be used if there is heat with blood deficiency because as it can generate blood, it enriches yin, and by enriching yin, it can reduce heat. Although its exterior dispersing property is rather weak, it actually excels at expelling wind because wind contracts the body, it tends to cause painful obstruction of blood, and blood, once invigorated, unblocks the area of obstruction so that wind naturally departs. End of quote. Also in Bensky, uh, another commentary. When the blood is sufficient and moves harmoniously, the chi will also circulate properly. The gram materia medica therefore calls this herb for the chi within the blood. Proper movement of both chi and blood eliminates pain, expels wind, restores normal menstrual flow, assists healing, and moistens the dryness. The type of dryness it particularly addresses is that in the intestines causing constipation and moistens dryness and lubricates the intestines. So those are a couple commentaries. There's so much out there in the literature on this on this herb. So generally, when we've been talking about dongwei, we've been talking about the whole herb, and we're the whole root. Uh, so different parts of the root are said to have slightly different functions. So the head, without the lateral roots, is also known as dongwei toe. Toe meaning head. So dongwei toe uh, is the most tonifying part but less effective in moving the blood, and it moves upward. The fine lateral ro roots, known as the tail or dongwei wei, so it's dongwei and wei, w-e-i, wei, is the least tonifying but the most moving, and it moves outward. The body or dongwei shen is said to be slightly more tonifying than invigorating. So those are the three parts. So we have the head, the tail, and the body. So generally today, the whole root is prescribed with the exception of occasional use of the tail. So the dongwei wei. We generally do not break down the dongwei shen, the body, or dongwei to, the head, though sometimes we'll do dongwei wei. But generally, we do the whole herb when we use this, the whole root when we use this herb. There are many preparations, and these preparations can change the effects of it. So for example, we can dry fry it. And when it's dry fried, it retains its moving and tonifying properties, but minimizes its intestine moistening. So the idea there is that when you dry fry it, you dry it up a little bit so it's not as moistening to the intestines and doesn't help uh, move the stools if it's dry fried. And it's good for gynecological patients with diarrhea. If someone has diarrhea, you don't want to give them dongwei because that will cause the diarrhea to get worse. This is a great preparation to prevent that. It can be wine fried. Slightly stronger intestine moistening and greatly enhanced blood invigoration. So um, still can tonify the blood, but the blood invigoration is even more. It can be earth fried. And this is good for tonifying the blood in patients with loose stools or diarrhea. Again, it kind of takes out some of that moistening stuff. It can be vinegar fried. Better for entering the liver and for restraining bleeding. And useful, it says it's useful for nosebleeds. So that is a, an interesting one. For external conditions, often made into a paste and applied externally. And it is often steeped in liquor. So you will... Uh, put this in uh, uh, grain liquor or whatever. We're, we're told in the West to use vodka because it's a relatively neutral alcohol, uh, but you can use other, uh, you know, traditionally uh, rice wine might have been used. Uh, and there are, there are herbs that you can, there are bottles you can get over the counter that really all it is is dongwei and liquor. And it has medicinal purposes so that it can be and is often steeped in liquor. 
can be used in, in, a, in a few combinations. Again, the, the combinations are too numerous to have them all here, but I have a few primary ones or uh, sort of highlighted ones. So one of the combinations is using it with Chuan Xiang rhizoma, or the Chinese for that is Chuan Xiang. And uh, so in, in that case, Dongwei harmonizes and supplements the blood while Chuan Xiang invigorates it and disperses blood stasis, all of which are enhanced when used together. So Dongwei balances the spicy dryness of Chuan Xiang while Chuan Xiang reduces ad for adverse effects from the greasy nature of Dongwei. So Tranchon can be very drying, and so the, that it can be very helpful. Another herb that we can uh, use with this is Cyperi rhizoma, or Xiangfu. Uh, this Xiangfu moves the qi in the blood and relieves constraint. Uh, together, one enters the qi aspect and the other the blood aspect, tonifying and moving the blood. So the, the uh, Xiangfu does more of the qi aspect of the blood. Uh, the Dongwei does more of the blood aspect of the blood. And together, they are very strong tonifying and moving the blood. So it's a very good combination there. Comparisons with other herbs. So another very commonly used herb in Chinese medicine, and really important, especially in the in context of what we're talking about as well, is Paeonia alba radix, or Bai Shao, uh, which translates as white peony, I believe. Both are blood tonics. Bai Shao, however, is cooling and used for blood and yin deficient patients with heat, while Dongwei is more suitable for blood deficient patients with yang deficiency and coldness. So one's more for heat, one's more for coolness. Dongwei moistens the intestines, and Bai Shao does not moisten the intestines. That's comparison between those two. Uh, another one to look at is uh, Spatholobi Kellis, or Ji Shui Tong. Now, when I first learned Ji Shui Tong, uh, it was a totally different herb than Spatholobi, uh, which happens. Uh, often they'll, they'll put in a Chinese word, and then when they find the, they kind of determine a Latin name, they'll put that in, in its case. So some of you older practitioners may not have heard of Spatholobi callus, but it's Ji Shui Tong is definitely an herb that we would have learned. And both that and Dongwei will tonify and invigorate the blood. Dongwei primarily tonifies and Ji Shui Tong primarily invigorates. So together they're very good at doing both. Though that's not, that wasn't necessarily a combination, uh, just difference between the two. Safety of Dongwei. So generally this is considered a very safe herb. The American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook, which is a great large text on herbs, rates it as safety class one, their highest safety rating, meaning it can be safely consumed when used appropriately. So that is good. Very safe in general. We'll, we'll quantify that safety in just, just a little bit. So the science behind it. This is absolutely one of the most heavily researched herbs around. And there are a lot of small studies with numerous claims, way too much for us to talk about here. Uh, we will therefore focus on larger and meta-studies. If you're not familiar with meta-studies, I talk a lot about meta-studies. Meta-studies are studies that in, that look at other studies. In other words, they can combine a bunch of smaller studies into a larger study and hopefully we will have more evidence to prove or disprove a given hypothesis. So looking at meta-studies is, is uh, very high-level evidence in general. So Chen and Chen, who wrote one of our translations of the Materia Medica, state that it is antiplatelet, so it, it actually prevents platelets. Uh, this is, uh, help, uh, platelets are important in coagulation, so it, it can uh, uh, stop the clotting process. It is immunostimulant, which means it helps the immune system. It is hepatoprotective, it protects the liver. It is antibiotic, so it treats bacteria. It is analgesic, it helps pain anti-inflammatory and it affects the uterus and the cardiovascular and respiratory systems respiratory systems there were several Cochrane reviews that came up on a search for Dongwei which believe me is very unusual when you put an herb into the Cochrane review they are not publicly available and in general their abstracts discuss Chinese herbal medicine in general 
without details of formulas or individual herbs in the in the reviews, at least not in the abstracts. So it was difficult for me to determine whether or not Tanguay was specifically in these reviews. But based on the conditions that were listed there and the fact that when I put in Dongwei, these these reviews came up, uh, we would reasonably expect that these include Dongwei. But the reason why I'm going into this is none of them were specific about Dongwei. They were all about formulas, which is how Chinese would use Dongwei in general. Um, so we need to keep that in context when we're, we're talking about some of these studies. Um, they found Chinese herbal medicine was potentially helpful in endometriosis, promising though limited evidence in treating dysmenorrhea. Dysmenorrhea means painful menses or, uh, and often uh, corresponds with premenstrual syndrome. Low to moderate level evidence of benefit in vascular dementia. So that's an interesting one. And low to moderate level of evidence is actually about as strong as it gets in the Cochrane reviews for, for herbs. It may offer help in treating the side effects of chemotherapy in breast cancer patients. And there were some small studies that even showed possible benefit in schizophrenia. So that's an interesting one. This is not an herb in Chinese medicine um, that we go to for schizophrenia, though I can see it being used in a lot of formulas that we would use that might treat schizophrenia, but it isn't uh, specific to that. Chen and Chen also cited 23 conditions Dongwei may help, though they are supported by difficult to obtain Chinese studies, small studies, or animal studies, and therefore may or may not provide sufficient evidence for benefit in these conditions. Now, just to put this in context, I've, written, I've read a lot of monographs on herbs from Chen and Chen's book. 23 conditions is huge. Usually they'll have a list of four or five. So having 23 conditions just shows how much this has been researched and all that. Uh, they weren't strong. You know, there was nothing that popped out and said, okay, that's a really good study or that's um, helpful um, and I should mention it. Uh, and like I said, they're small, they're animal studies, they're difficult to obtain, uh, they're in Chinese. So difficult for me to, to, uh, to sit here and say, yes, this is one of those. But it's just indicative of how widespread, how many different problems Dongwei can actually help with. So it's the contents of Dongwei, what, what the constituents of Dongwei contain, it contains many essential volatile oils, ferulic acid, zelagustalide, butyl, butylidenephthalide. <laughs> All right, this is a hard one. Butylidenephthalide and various polysaccharides. Ferulic acid appears to be amongst the most bioactive of these and has anti-inflammatory and immunostimulatory effects. The Z-Legustalide has anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, neuro and hepatoprotective effects. So um, neuroprotective, in other words, it helps the nerves and hepatoprotective means it helps the liver effects. So that's an interesting compound. And then N-butylidenephthalide, um, it's a hard one because it's, it's an N-E-P-H-T-H-A-L um, phthalate. So it's um, butyl phthalide, all in one word, exerts anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, and anti-cardiovascular effects. Um, it should probably say rather than anti-cardiovascular effects, anti-cardiovascular anti <laughs> effects. It helps, um, helps the cardiovascular system. So when we start to talk about drug interactions, there are several important concerns uh, when it comes to Dongwei. And actually, I have a, a uh, uh, lecture on the, ten, the nine herbs to be worried about, and the, no, the 10 herbs to be worried about, and the nine drugs to be worried about. And this is ranked number nine out of those 10 herbs to be worried about. So it's up there. This is definitely has some potential drug herb interactions at several different levels. Um, though, when it comes to specific drugs and, and what have you, it's all speculative. So it's, it's difficult, but let's, let's talk about some of this. So Dongwei may inhibit CYP1A2 and 3A4. So um, CYP is cytochrome P450, 
3A4 is used anywhere between 40 and 60% of drugs for metabolism. So the fact that it inhibits 3A4 means that other drugs taken at the taken while taking Dongwei um, may not be metabolized as quickly as they normally would, which means they they quite possibly can hang out in the body longer and have more extended effects than expected. It may also happen inhibit um, P-glycoprotein. It may also inhibit P-glycoprotein. Uh, this is a target of drug-drug interaction, so the fact that it may inhibit PGP, which is short for P-glycoprotein, uh, is indicative of some potential drug-herb uh, interactions here, so definitely something to be considered about. So it may potentiate anticoagulant and antiplatelet effects and should be used with caution in patients taking anticoagulant, antiplatelet agents, thrombolytic agents, and low molecular weight heparins. And there's level C evidence to this, which usually indicates that there was ca some case studies that showed this, um, not a trial, but uh, some individuals may have seen some evidence uh, that when taking on Dongwei, it, it interfered with some of these potential drugs. So definitely a concern, especially with those drugs. It may increase the muscle relaxant and central nervous system depression of benzodiazepines. So that's, that's an important one. Uh, so it may interfere a bit with benzodiazepines. Level D evidence on that, so uh, which means it's uh, there's not strong evidence in that it, it, it wasn't in humans, uh, either an expert opinion or animals or something along those lines. By the way, going back to mentioning animals, I said that Dangwe may inhibit uh, cytochrome P451A2 and 3A4. There is there was one study that mentioned that uh, 2D6 uh, was inhibited in rats. So I didn't include that here because we don't generally uh, include animal. Re I don't generally include animal research in this. It, it cuts down a lot of the research that I have to talk about, and it's a relative, a relatively useful way to to uh, to look at parse this. Uh, but just to mention, CYP2D6 is a possibility of interactions as well, inhibition from cytochrome P450. So I always want to talk about this because it's been suggested that it might have phytoestrogen content. So phytoestrogen are estrogens that are in plants. So phytoestrogen content is an important concern for some people, especially those who have estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. You know, so this is an important question. So one rat study did show significant estrogenic changes. Uh, another in vitro research. So uh, rat study means in rats, of course. In vitro means in, in test tubes, in glass. Uh, research is little or no estrogen activity at all. So there's some, some mixtures there. Generally, rat, you know, animal studies would be more significant than in vitro studies but we're not rats, so uh, animal studies may point to something in humans, but does not prove anything in humans at all. However, and this is an important one, a double-blinded, randomly controlled trial. So this is the granddaddy of, of trials, is we want our trials to be double-blinded and randomly controlled. That is the gold standard of a trial, a clinical trial. The next question is how many people were in this, and I don't remember off the top of my head, but it certainly was into the statistically valid numbers, but not huge numbers of, of uh, subjects in this trial. And it showed no estrogen-like effects in postmenopausal women. So there could be some phytoestrogen or some estrogen activity in premenopausal women, uh, possibly not, you know, I don't know how likely that is, but it's possible. So there is some controversy over whether or not Dongwei is phytoestrogenic. Uh, phytoestrogenic means it, it, it actually has activities of estrogen. The preponderance evidence at this time suggests that there is no estrogen-like activity. And so that is an important, and, and, and this is, look, I wrote an article on this years ago that, that came to the same conclusion and I was looking through the uh, um, American Herbal Products Association's book, which is 
a good reference for this sort of things and they came basically to the same conclusion so I, there's not i don't think there's strong evidence of phytoestrogen content that doesn't mean the evidence can't change and other studies can come out and say there is so i'm not saying there isn't any i'm just saying the evidence doesn't support it at this point that's that's how i would phrase this the other drug herb interaction here is it may treat liver damage caused by acetaminophen or Tylenol is the brand name for that by promoting hepatocyte generation. So hepatocyte means liver cell generation. So may treat liver damage caused by acetaminophen by promoting liver cell generation. So that's useful. That's a good drug herb interaction. So what are some concerns? So as I mentioned earlier, this is quite safe and, and I started to mention this LD50. So LD50 is the lethal dose that would kill 50% of the mice. So you give various doses to mice. When uh, half of them kill over, that is the dose that is the LD50. So the, the LD50 in mice is 100 grams of Dongwe extract per kilogram injected. So that's uh, absolutely huge LD50. Think about it. You have to be mice. Half the mice died when one tenth of their weight was injected into them from dogway. That's really safe levels. Like we would think about it in terms of humans. Uh, that would mean we would have to take the average person they say is 150 pounds that we would have to take 15 pounds of Dongwe. Remember, we're talking the normal dose is 5 to 15 grams. 15 grams is about half an ounce. So you would have to take hundreds more than the the uh, regular dosing of this before it would be lethal on half of half of us. So that's again, mice aren't humans and all that, but that is a very high LD50, which is what you want. You want a very high LD50. So it's, it's a quite safe, and that quantifies the safety of it. It is contraindicated in patients with diarrhea or abdominal ful fullness due to dampness. So I did mention, I did get into a little bit of talk of dampness in our last show, Shaw Ren. So you might want to listen to that if you want to learn a little bit about dampness. Chen and Chen says this should be a caution and add spleen deficiency as a caution. So it should be uh, caution in patients with diarrhea or abdominal fullness but uh, due to dampness, but it's contraindicated in, uh, and they say, uh, Chen Chen says it's contraindicated in excess conditions or patients with yin deficient signs. So yin deficient signs means there may be some heat. You don't want to add a lot of extra heat here. Uh, and it is a tonifying herb, so you don't want excess conditions necessarily to be uh, taken with it. So that makes sense. So, you know, some one book says it's contraindicated in these patients. Another one says it's caution should be used. Um, contraindications are, are not necessarily like adamant. So uh, especially when we start talking about formulas, which kind of balance out different herbs. So in this case, it's not entirely clear what if it's contraindicated or caution in patients with diarrhea or abdominal fullness due to dampness. The American Herbal Products Association recommends stopping seven days before surgery due to possible inhibition of platelet aggregation. So again, there is some evidence that this does inhibit platelet aggregation, which would be necessary to help uh, help heal from surgery. So they're just saying if you are taking it, stop it, stop it seven days before surgery. That's a relatively reasonable recommendation. I'm, I'm not opposed to stopping herbs uh, before surgery anyways. So any herb. So, uh, but particularly because of this inhibition of platelet aggregation, you would uh, definitely want to stop this uh, seven days before, or should stop it seven days. Recommend, they recommend they stop it seven days before surgery. Some Western texts where Dongwei is often used by itself have warned against its use in pregnancy. So that's very interesting because it's often used in pregnancy in Chinese medicine and formulas. So we don't do individual Dongwe, we do formulas. We use Dongwe in formulas. So it's very commonly prescribed to pregnant women in, in this context and not so much uh, in the Western side of things, they use herbs in ones and twos and threes. So uh, much stronger effects from it. So they suggest not doing pregnancy. Chinese medicine says we do. 
I'm Chinese medical practitioner. I've seen it a lot used in pregnancy. Don't have any issues with it. And, and this is actually uh, short up. There was a study from Hong Kong. Uh, Ong et al. did that study. And 12% of pregnant women used it during pregnancy. Well, I should say 12% of those who used herbs used in pregnancy. And that was the second most popular herb in the study. So very commonly used during pregnancy without any ill effects in the literature at this point. So that's, I, I'm not concerned about it, but I do need to mention it here. And that concludes our episode. Can't believe I crammed all of that into one hour. So that is fascinating. Next week, we are going to be getting into one of the most used and controversial herbal formulas. And that is Shiosan. So relaxed wanderer or um, what's the other? Shiosan is relaxed wanderer. You'll see that often as relaxed wanderer or um, traveler or something along those lines. Wandering. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating formula but what's up with this herbal mixture why is it controversial why is it one of the most used why is it controversial what's up with it thank you very much for listening today again a reminder if, when you buy from Amazon please use the banner aid, uh, banner ad on our homepage again we get a few pennies and that helps us to continue to do these and you can always get in touch with me personally at dr. Greg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website www.spurbsherbs.com so that's s-p-e-r-b-s h-e-r-b-s dot com thank you very much Spurbs Herbs Chinese Singles the proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber we would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program thank you Brett, Janelle, Timothy, Dobbins, Rogers, Campbell, 